everybody. Welcome to OK Talks. I'm your host, Oliver Kendall. I'm a lifelong political nerd with an academic background in international relations focused in security policy and real-world experience working in the U.S. domestic political space and living in a number of other countries than my own, all of which combined, I think, positions me fairly well both to interpret for my international audience what's going on in the politics of my own country and to shed light for some of the folks back home on some events of note going on in the rest of the world. In the last episode of OK Talks, I was joined by a guest on the ground in a country in Latin America with a relatively fragile democracy to talk about massive political unrest there around generalized bad economic and security conditions and structural political issues, all exacerbated by the actions of a populist demagogue who is the president of that country. That was interesting. So I thought this week I'd basically just do that again. And conveniently enough for me, if not for the people of Mexico, there is a pretty serious political crisis happening in that country at the moment. So for most of the 20th century, Mexico, despite being kind of a democracy on paper, was ruled entirely by one party, the Partido Revolucionario Institucional, or PRI. I'm just going to go with PRI in this episode. This was often called the perfect dictatorship because its relative subtlety compared to authoritarian governments built around the big personality of a Gaddafi or a Castro made the PRI's camouflaged dictatorship in some ways harder to both identify and to undo. But in the late 1990s, the party allowed a series of electoral reforms that, in the presidential election of 2000, resulted in, for the first time in seven decades, someone not from the PRI winning the presidency of Mexico. In addition to just finally allowing somebody who wasn't the latest hand-picked puppet of the PRI to be the president, these electoral reforms really were what set the stage for Mexico to turn into a legitimate democracy. The institutions that protect the democracy weren't immediately perfect and have taken some time to like grow into the role that they play now, but these reforms were what laid the groundwork for Mexico to be the actual democracy that it is today. The institution that I'm most referring to here is called the Instituto Nacional Electoral, or INE. I'm going to call it the INE, which is an autonomous body that monitors and runs elections at every level in Mexico. So they do things like issue voter IDs, draw congressional districts with an algorithm and nonpartisan experts, and like a number of other things to ensure free and fair elections. The INE consistently receives the highest polling numbers for public trust in Mexico of any national institution. Boy, what I wouldn't give to have something like that in the U.S. Switching gears now for a minute to the, let's call it the supervillain origin story for this podcast episode, Andres Manuel López Obrador. Basically, everybody just calls him AMLO, which I'm going to do for the rest of this episode, since Andres Manuel López Obrador is a bit of a mouthful. So AMLO got his start in politics in Mexico in the 20th century in the PRI, and built a name for himself over time as a sort of leftist populist. In 2006, what I think we can call like the second ever actual legit election in Mexico, AMLO ran for president under a different, that is to say not the PRI, uh, party affiliation and was very narrowly defeated. There were some accusations, which AMLO either latched onto or just started himself, that the election was in fact rigged, stolen, totally rigged, very, very unfair, tremendously unfair. But whether those accusations were in fact legitimate or just the sort of sour grapes bullshit that make me want to do them in a Trump voice, international observers at the time largely dismissed them, as did the organization 
that was the precursor at the time of the Instituto Nacional Electoral, the INE. And AMLO, as we will see, has clearly never forgiven the INE for having certified his loss of the presidential election in 2006. In 2012, he ran for president again and lost very badly, though I'm pretty sure he didn't accept the results of that one either. You're starting to see why I brought back that Trump impression? But in 2018, his moment arrived. In the time before the elections that year, Mexico's political space was rocked by very legitimate outrage over revelations um, about the, I think, still not entirely solved murder of a whole bunch of student activists in one part of Mexico around which there appeared to be some cooperation between local police and the drug cartels. There's a whole lot more that could be said about that and the elections that year by somebody way more qualified to talk about that than me. This is another episode in which I need to be upfront about my definitely not being an expert in the politics of the country we're talking about. But fortunately, I'm not going to be alone in this one either, as we'll, go, as we'll get to in a minute. Bottom line, AMLO was swept into power in 2018 in really kind of a landslide election and has remained pretty popular in Mexico in the time since. The question, though, seems to be in some ways, Why? AMLO has not been a very effective president. He's governed basically as an authoritarian populist who grants himself legitimacy by cloaking himself in the trappings of the anti-neoliberalist working man left. To me, I should say for my American audience, he seems a bit like what would happen if you had Donald Trump, like, like with Donald Trump's personality, doing a bad impression of Bernie Sanders. Yes, he and his Morena party have raised the minimum wage a bit, but they've also slashed parts of the safety net in order to pay for ecologically awful boondoggles like a train from Mexico City to the Yucatan Peninsula and wasteful vanity projects like a replanned, poorly executed, and ultimately useless new airport way the hell outside of Mexico City. He also really botched the response in Mexico to COVID-19. If you want some more examples of how AMLO has basically sucked at the whole presidenting thing, I really recommend a piece by David Frum in The Atlantic from about a month ago called The Autocrat Next Door. But in spite of all that, he has, as I said, managed to remain relatively popular. So then, why are there all of a sudden tens if not hundreds of thousands of Mexican citizens in the street protesting? Well, AMLO has decided to act on his grudge against the INE and force through a series of quote-unquote electoral reforms. To dig into this, what's happening and what it means, I'm joined by Edgar Lopez, no relation to the president. Edgar is a Mexican-American dual national who's been involved in politics on both sides of the border. We actually met working for Democrats abroad in the 2020 U.S. elections. Uh, Edgar's worked as an economic analyst and journalist in Mexico and in the news business over here in Europe as well. Dude's had a way more interesting life than me, bottom line. Uh, now, conveniently enough, he's in Mexico City, which, combined with all that background, makes him perfectly positioned to help us understand what's going on there. Edgar, how's it going, man? Hello, it's a pleasure being here with you. Yeah, thanks for joining me. Uh, Great, anytime. So, just give us a, give us an overview. In the intro, I'll talk about the sort of background of this a little bit, but can you just give us a little bit of an overview of what's going on right now? Why there are these massive protests going on in Mexico? Yes, uh, the current president, uh, Manuel uh, Lop Andres Manuel Lopez Obrador, uh, is trying to push an electoral reform that uh, is opposed not only by the parties that are not his, but also by a whole bunch of independent Mexicans who have no party affiliation. Uh, it is important to stress that Mexico didn't always have 
a democracy that could guarantee the integrity of the elections and the results of the elections. It has been much better in the past few years, and it, especially since Lopez Obrador took uh, took pow the power, because um, there was an event in 2006 when he was running for president, and according to him and by what seems to be uh, everybody's opinion, uh, the election was stolen from him. And uh, after that, the Electoral Institute was reformed, was remade, and it was able to guarantee fair elections and to convince Mexicans that elections were being fairly held, fairly counted. And it was this National Electoral Institute for its uh, acronym in Spanish, INE, which is uh, Institución Nacional Electoral. They oversaw and ratified the election of President López Obrador. President López Obrador is coming from, according to himself, from the left. He is an anti-oligarch, anti-conservative person, uh, and he would have not been allowed to, to be uh, the president in Mexico before, uh, in this narrative because he was from the left. Now, this electoral institute not only oversaw the election that took him to power, but ratified him to this election. However, President Lopez Obrador has never been happy with the electoral institute and even later with the, with the breaks that the Electoral Institute put to the excesses of his own party and of uh, President Obrador himself. So now he wants to reform it. And that's what uh, has given uh, way to all of this opposition in Mexico. His attempt basically to take apart this organization that guarantees free and fair elections in the country. Yes, uh, this institution is recognized abroad in the in developed countries in Europe and in the United States as being fair and allowing for free elections. Uh, that's not the opinion of President López Obrador. He holds a grudge from 2006, basically. He does, but the Electoral Institute is not the same one that probably allowed for electoral fraud in 2006 it is the same that sanctioned his arrival to power in 2018, I think. Yeah. So with all this being the case, then it it, it stands to reason that there would it, in especially in a country that hasn't that has only really been effectively a, a basically a democracy since roughly the year 2000 or so. It stands to reason that in a fairly young democracy that people would be concerned about a president attempting to take apart the institution that has effectively allowed for that to be the case. But then what is his argument for why he's doing that or trying to? Yeah, there's a couple of arguments that he adduces. Um, the first one 
is that he doesn't think that this electoral institute is honest and impartial. Um, we have to say that neither he nor the president of his party, Morena, nor the government have ever proven that this electoral institute is in fact corrupt. Not only but, that, but there's widespread recognition, as you mentioned, abroad that it is not. Right. And more than anything, it is the same institute that allowed him to come to power. Yeah. So there is a contradiction in saying that, and there has been no other president in the meantime. So there's a contradiction in saying that for in, in on the one hand, it is corrupt and it is against them, you know, the left. Yeah. wing of, of Morena. Uh, but at the same time, it is this institute that allowed them to become to come to power. Yeah. Obviously, for one thing, it, it the idea of Morena being left is itself a little bit or, or being liberal is itself arguable, probably for, 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 for one thing. But for another, it's it's interesting because this well, this reminds me in the context of the work we've done together on American politics of of Republicans uh, in Congress who will who 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 were willing to not vote to certify the 2020 election, which is the very same election in which they won their own offices. Uh, it, it's um little little cross border connection there with AMLO's party and and the current Republican Party. Um, this notion that like oh well uh, you know this this election was fraudulent except for the part where I won. Exactly, um, exactly. Ironic. That is a problem. Now the other big argument uh, or main argument that he and his government are using is that the elections are too expensive, that this electoral institute is too expensive. Isn't this uh, the same guy that wasted a whole bunch of money on a sort of failed boondoggle project to build an airport way outside the city, which itself cost more than this election institute? Exactly. It, it, it He is also the same guy who's investing in a petrochemical work that uh, might or might not be good to do in a, when we should be moving to sustainable energies mm-hmm. and spending a lot of money. Regardless of these boondoggles and, and the airport uh, is expenditure that didn't have to be there, uh, the president has not ventured a revision of the whole budget of his administration for all of Mexico mm-hmm. uh, for us to accept that it is the money that should be what guides the, ref- the electoral reform. And there is a big problem there. Um, in his, in the motives that they adduce to change it is that the electoral reform should be guided by the principle of in his words, Republican austerity. However, uh, that ignores that the principle of the electoral authority should be nothing more than guaranteeing free and fair elections. Yeah. Guarantee that democracy keeps existing. Money should not be the main the main concern. Yeah. Hey, side note, before we go on with the episode. Have you subscribed to the podcast yet? If not, go do it. 
That way you don't miss an episode, and also it really helps with the whole algorithm thing to get the show into more people's podcast feeds. <laughs> I would be wrong if I didn't also say in this little interlude that leaving a rating and a review and sharing the link to the podcast on social media would also have that effect. So if you feel like doing me a favor, please go do those things. Okay. So, okay, so this is, so the bottom line, his two primary arguments are it's corrupt, which basically everyone agrees is 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 not true, and it costs too much money, which would appear to be a false concern considering how much money he spends on other projects that would appear to be probably less valuable to Mexico in the long term than guaranteeing free and fair democracy in that country. Okay, so the arguments that he's making seem to be insane. Um, so then with with that being the case, and I guess some of this is sort of self-explanatory, but it would be good to go into a little bit of the detail. Why are people in Mexico so concerned about the changes that AMLO is trying to make to the INE? Well, when you go to the nitty-gritty of the proposal, uh, what you find uh, is a mixture of measures that modernize the electoral apparatus. Mm -hmm. There are measures that pertain to the composition of Congress, and there are measures that refer to how you elect and run the electoral system. Uh, they are disparate measures to start with. And when you go to the specifically to the proposals to change the electoral Institute, then uh, what you come out with is very importantly that while this institute, the people who run it, are uh, are elected by Congress and agreement among the political forces, and has proven to be impartial, uh, the the president now wants to give the president a hand in choosing the people who run the institute. So that is a problem because if the, the electoral authorities are going to try to be impartial about who is the president, but the president in turn has a hand in deciding who is going to be the head of that institute, then it doesn't seem fair and it seems ripe for cheating. It seems it would also be in, in the short term. I mean, given Mexico's history of like, 70 years of of de facto one party rule uh because i mean it was on paper a democracy for most of the 20th century but realistically one party just managed to control everything by kind of rigging the whole electoral apparatus is is a concern here that amlo would be able to like open the window temporarily for whoever happens to be the president i.e him to stack the deck and then have it basically stay that way permanently yeah, that is exactly the concern. That is exactly the concern. And accusations fly about him wanting to come back to that 70-year rule of the pre that was ensured by many things, among them electoral fraud that happened once and again and again and again. I should say um, for, for our listeners that the pre was the party in Mexico that, that ran the country for for 70 years up until I think the year 2000. Um, right, Yeah. right, that is correct. And um, regardless of what are the intentions of the president and his party, um, the reform would open the door for whoever is in power yeah. to basically 
take control of the elections in a way that will keep them in power. And that's something that should not be done uh, when we have a, a fledgling uh, working democracy. Is he claiming that he doesn't intend to do that? No, he's just <laughs> claiming that he wants to, to make elections on, honest and the okay. Electoral Institute honest without proving that the institute is dishonest. Yeah. The other thing that he is proposing is basically beheading and deprofessionalizing the institute by mm. cutting the resources that go to it, mm. by cutting the staff that goes to it, and by increasing the margins of uh, the parties and the government to publish propaganda, electoral propaganda in times of election. Now, it has to be said that in the past, in the uh, during the years that uh, López Obrador has been a president, the Electoral Institute has sanctioned several times uh, his party, Morena, for mm. abusing, abusing the electoral calendar, for uh, government officials for doing campaigns in favor of Morena and trying to uh, circumscribe Morena to stick to the law. Mm. And that's basically what Lopez Obrador has been complaining about. But he is not attacking the Electoral Institute for doing what it should be doing, which is what we see from Assad. It is attacking it for being partial because circumscribing his party to the law to him is being partial Biased, to conservative yeah. oligarchy. Yeah. It's it's amazing how much in common AMLO appears to have with Donald Trump. Uh, I mean, like you can you can just hear the Electoral Institute, very biased, very biased. They stopped me from spending a bunch of money illegally. They said I couldn't pay off that porn star to not tell anybody, which is about the fake, the fake media, the fake Electoral Institute. Uh, it, it's 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 an interesting set of excuses that that seems, yeah, it's, it seems to come from the same place of grievance of like anyone that attempts to hold me and my party to the same rules that everyone else gets held to is biased against me uh, and thus needs to be dismantled. And then, exactly. yeah, and I just, I always just find myself in, in any democracy, when you see one political group trying to dramatically loosen the rules around like political fair play, I feel like you always need to ask, okay, but why do you want to do that? It's like a, it's it's like if you if you're looking at a basketball game and one team is like, I would like to put blades. I, we should change the rules to allow for us to put blades on our shoes. I'm not saying I'm going to do that, but why do we need to have a rule against it? It seems like there are too many regulations of this game. Maybe, yes, absolutely. Maybe my analogy is too ridiculous, but no, 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 no. You're totally right, but I think that we can go we can go a step beyond that. Um, a lot of the political discourse in Mexico is about whether the president is being honest, whether whether he's being uh, he's being disingenuous, or he's just being uh, naive, or if if he's just being honest and really wants to do well. I don't think that we really need 
to decide where, what the intentions, the real intentions of the president are. All we need to know is that this reform goes against the forms that should be kept to maintain a fair and free democracy and keep the integrity of the vote. It doesn't matter what his intentions are. If the, if the, if the change of rules is going to weaken democracy, then we should not have it. Yeah. We should not have it. With that being the case, then, let's say this goes through, because I know he tried a couple of months to do this, and he tried to do this initially through a constitutional amendment a few months ago and failed. And now he's trying to just do this legislatively. And so provided these changes go into effect, do you think that they will have an effect on the next election or there will be a longer term impact? Well, there's a couple of things here. Um, the original proposal that he sent to Congress was a constitutional amendment that did not pass because he didn't manage to get enough opposition support to, to get the majoria calificada, which would be two thirds of the vote in Congress. So he moved on to a plan B that it's a, it's a lesser reform that does not need constitutional amendment. And the differences are most importantly, that the reform that he passed now uh, uh, by along party lines in Congress, uh, first, what is not going to happen is this proposal that he did that all of the electoral authorities should be subject to election by vote by the by popular vote in the country, which is not a really good idea to put the authorities in charge of elections to be elected because that violates the principle of that a judge should not be part of the, of the contenders yeah. in a judgment, of course. But now what he uh, managed to do with, with this reform is to behead the, the electoral institute and try to take resources away from it. But the the there are all of these professionals that have built a career in there since uh, for the last uh, past few elections, and those people are essential to guarantee the, um, the the freedom of the elections, to guarantee the professionalization of the elections, mm -hmm. and he is reducing all of that. At the same time, he is getting rid of all the regional and state electoral authorities, which is a problem because that's a centralization of all the power of the electoral power in Mexico City. And that mm. makes it much easier to subvert elections in the states. Gotcha. And it, it drives you away from the principle of independence and self-rule of states. So yeah. that doesn't make sense. Now, the problem with elections is that um, if the if if it passes now his plan b he this is the the reform that passed in congress if it passes uh it's going to affect these coming elections in 2024 and elections going forward it's going to be important in the uh, for the elections from here on all of them um there's there's not much time to to deliberate now the opposition has has put a resource, has sued for the Supreme Court 
to decide whether it is this reform is anti-constitutional. But um, this, while this is in the Supreme Court and the decision is not clear now, uh, what we have is that uh, if the Supreme Court doesn't doesn't reject as uh, anti-constitutional uh, the reform, then it it will affect the election coming in twenty twenty four. And then, which which could set the events in motion to turn Mexico back to the pre two thousand era, except instead of PRI being in charge indefinitely, it would be Morena. Exactly. Now, um, a charge frequently done in free, frequently levied against Morena and President López Obrador in Mexico is that they, many of them come from the pre. They were, mm. López Obrador himself was a militant and an officer in the pre when the pre was in power. Yeah, it was. And um López Obrador is a man of the 20th century, basically. And uh, we, we, we are concerned, uh, people who are independent and people who are in opposition. I myself, I, I am independent, but I am concerned that uh, advances of form in democracy are going to be rolled back and could open the door for another PRI or Morena to to get a hold of power and not let go of it. Mm-hmm. So then, given that concern, which seems unfortunately very reasonable, um, what do you think will be the future of this protest movement? Because uh, from what I understand, it seems pretty likely that this law is going to pass. Uh, and then the hope will just be that the court will knock it down. But like, Amlo himself, as I understand it, is still pretty popular despite this thing being pretty widely unpopular. What like let's say this this passes and you know, while we 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 can't let's say we you can't answer the political side of this. We don't we can't answer the judicial side of this. What do you anticipate will happen in terms of the opposition that it has generated? Well, what I anticipate uh if this reform passes, the most important consequences for the 2024 election is that the Electoral Institute will have less power to sanction abuses from the government and from the parties in electoral campaign. And it will have less resources to actually supervise the election. So in that case, then, even though AMLO himself cannot run for a second term because in Mexico the presidents are limited limited to one term, you think he'll put a thumb on the scale to make sure that he his chosen successor is basically able to take over the presidency and then thus, That's thus creating a situation where Morena will be able to continually generate more power, keep its thumb on the scale, and really never again lose an election. Right. Independently of the intentions of, of Morena and the president, the consequences will be those that you just mentioned. Uh, the INE also won't have a power to limit the propaganda made with government resources. So mm. this reform strongly favors whatever party is in power. And of course, neither Morena nor President Lopez Obrador would have liked this if the party in power were not a different one than Morena. Yeah. So it sounds like the reforms could be described as being beneficial to whichever party 
A, has the power of incumbency and or is the most willing to play dirty when it comes to uh, spreading fake news or maybe in, maybe using intimidation at the local level to suppress votes, that sort of thing. Right, right. So there's really now, for sitting, sitting. You and I, you and I sitting here, we can't think of a single redeeming thing about these quote unquote reforms. It's bullshit. Uh, but well, there are there are some mix, and this is important to consider because there will be the people who are in favor of the reform, even among Mexicans, because uh, it. It tries to modernize a couple of things like mm. allowing for electronic vote, allowing for voting abroad, uh, for Mexicans from abroad, and ah. a number of things. So, so there's, there's some bones thrown in there to make it look more legitimate. Yes, exactly. Gotcha. To make it palatable, to, to make it, to make it uh, something that they can sell. Okay. However, uh, going back to the question that you made, like what is going to happen considering that President Lopez Obrador is very popular. In fact, he has a high level of popularity among the people. And the opposition parties, which, by the way, have been discredited through their own terms at the government, mm -hmm. so much the PRI as the PAN have governed the, the country, and they have indeed not come better off than Morena has now. So the problem is that all of the Mexican, the problem for Morena, for, for the president, is that people who are educated, people who are independent, people who are just trying to understand things from their own point of view, uh, realize more and more that this is not good for Mexico, independently of whether they are they oppose uh, President López Obrador, whether they are part of the opposition parties, it's not. It's a lot more people that uh, that is coming to oppose these reforms. And this is very important to note. Um, the opposition parties have not been able to put together in the Zócalo, the main square of Mexico City, uh, and a concentration of their partisans who oppose these reforms uh, that is big or, or demonstrates force. They have not been able to do this. However, a demonstration, a concentration that was called uh, as an independent call from uh, opposing parties actually filled the uh, main square in Mexico City. Oh, so so then the, the, the strongest force of this protest movement really is not owned by either of the opposition parties. Correct. It's so, independent people who are saying, no, we don't want you to touch the INE. And that's gotcha. the crying, the rallying cry. Don't is there is the there INE. is there any chance that either of these two other parties could like appropriate that or that this creates like a fourth party or some sort of independent political movement? For the future, I hope and I expect that this will move people who are independent of the traditional political parties to create new organizations that can, from the ground up, build new parties and give new alternatives to Mexico. Now, there's a small party that has not allied with either of the traditional parties, has refused to ally with Morena, and, and the president has refused to ally with uh, with the PAN and the PRI, it's called Movimiento Ciudadano. Hmm. 
Uh, what I have seen, I am not part of them, but what I have seen from them in their discourse in the past couple of years uh, is that uh, they put principle above tactics and they put principle above strategy and they have put principle above power. And I would think that and they have come definitely against the electoral reform. I would think that the they could co-opt some of this movement. They will get strengthened by this movement. And if there are uh, other organizations, I hope that this gives rise, even if Morena gets to rule the country again uninterruptedly and they want to hold on to uh, to power by means that are not democratic, mm -hmm. I do hope that the experience of democracy since 2000 in Mexico will create a ferment and effervescent of independent people who actually push the political system beyond the 20th century. We have to say that the PRI, the PAN and Morena, all the traditional parties are really children of the 20th century with mm -hmm. all of their setbacks and mm -hmm. the setbacks and their drawbacks. Mm -hmm. Well, I guess for now we have to hope that that movement stays alive and or that the courts stop this from happening because it's looking at this from the outside. I mean, I, you know, I've, I've been sitting here biting my nails over the last, I mean, because over the next last decade or so we've seen, I mean, Turkey was a democracy for a minute and now could not reasonably be called that anymore. The same could be said for the Philippines, for Hungary, um, right. I think if Trump had been reelected in the United States, the same could pretty easily have been said there could be said for, uh, certainly for what's happening in Israel at the moment, which I think I might talk about in the next episode of, of this show, but, but, uh, it would be, it would be tragic to see a country that has 23 years of being a real democracy, stop that experiment. Uh, and, and frankly, I, well, I mean, I know we need to, to wrap up here in a second, but but I, I should just say I I think that Americans, you know, U.S. citizens do not pay nearly enough attention to one of the two countries that borders it. Uh, and I think that Americans are incredibly naive if they think that if they think that a de-evolution of Mexican democracy will not hurt them uh, because right. even whether or not you care that much about democracy, the reality is that AMLO and his party don't seem to have been particularly competent rulers of the country either. Uh, and considering the various other challenges Mexico is facing, some of which do spill across the border, it's it's hard to imagine that a permanent rule by the Morena party in Mexico would not have some pretty negative knock-on effects north of the border. So even if uh, you are not concerned about the situation just for the sake of caring about freedom and democracy in one of our two primary neighbors. <laughs> uh, it's likely to get on us as well um, in, in, in that sort of way. Correct, yeah. correct. I do bite, I think that you are correct, and I do bite my nails as much as you do. However, I am, I am optimistic because while it is true that for a while now, in the 21st century, uh, there have been strong movements to the right towards authoritarianism. 
there have been also a whole bunch of occasions where countries have rejected that move towards the right. Um, in the elections of Austria, France, the Netherlands, etc., cetera, uh, they have rejected the right. And grabbing power, uh, grabbing power is the goal of many in the right wings of many countries. However, there is always people who are against it, even in Russia, like the immigration of Russia, uh, that uh, uh, before the oppression that Putin has uh, affected on them, on those who oppose the, the, the war on Ukraine. Uh, those people are out now, but there is a ferment in all of these countries, including Mexico, to keep democracy alive. So I think that in the long run, the lesson that we have to learn is that you have to fight for democracy every year. Yeah. You can never take it for granted. And there will always be people with authoritarian impulses from whom you have to defend democracy. Whether and, whether it be whether it be from the right or the left, as AMLO likes to consider. Exactly. Exactly. I can't, I can't believe I, I just took a swipe at the left there. A and B, I'm about to quote Ronald Reagan, which I can't believe I'm going to do. Uh, but I, I think Reagan said something to the effect of it's too bad. I don't have the quote on hand, but something to the effect of. Freedom isn't like passed down through the bloodstream. Like you have to fight for it every generation to keep it alive. And I, I um, I almost never end a podcast on an optimistic note, but I'm going to do that this time. Uh, <laughs> uh, I, I, I hope that you're right. I hope that that this protest movement and or the courts in Mexico can save Mexican democracy from this because it's um concerning yeah i do too and even if they don't save it this time there is a ferment in mexico now that is committed to push ahead for democracy and that is good yeah well um i hope i hope that it won't be necessary to wait that long uh but in the meantime i'm i'm glad that um i will i will adopt your optimism about that existing movement and desire to keep uh keep freedom and democracy alive in mexico so um, I think we got to wrap up there, but Edgar, thank you so much for coming on the show. It has been my pleasure. I enjoyed it very much. Thank you, Oliver. That's it for this episode of OK Talks. First of all, a huge thank you to Edgar for joining me. I thought that was a super interesting and informative conversation, if I do say so myself. Hope you did too. Along those lines, if you like the show and want to know when I finally get around to releasing the next episode, hit subscribe or follow or whatever it is on whichever app you use to listen to podcasts. As always, I'm sorry to join the parade of content producers asking you to like and subscribe and share the show and all that, but it really does help both to manually get the show in front of more people and also to convince that algorithm to make the podcast a bit more accessible. So please do go ahead and do all those things. I really appreciate it. Thanks as always to my friend Nate Wright for having designed the podcast artwork and to you for listening. 